Our reading this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 6. We're finishing our series in Ephesians, and after a break next week when we have Kieran, we'll be starting our series in Genesis. And so I would encourage you, if uh, you uh, spend time in Scripture each day, to just be reading a little bit ahead. You've got a couple of weeks now to get ahead in Genesis and just familiarize yourselves uh, with that. We'll be moving at a, a relatively sedate pace at the beginning, and as the year goes on, the pace will pick up a little bit, and we'll cover uh, a chapter a week to begin with, and then it will be a little bit more than that as the, the year goes on. So if you get ahead now, then you'll be up to speed as we move through the rest of the year. But this morning we're reading in Ephesians 6, picking up in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychius, the beloved brother and faithful minister of the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This is the word of the Lord. If you think back over the book of Ephesians, uh, you'll remember that the church in Ephesus has some great things going for it uh, and some other things that are perhaps not quite so good. If you read uh, the course of the life of the church in Acts as it begins, and then in this letter as you hear Paul speaking to Timothy and uh, to the actual church, and as we um, read about it in Revelation, you get the idea that they've been taught well, they've been encouraged to understand the Word of God, and, and they've got a good grip on what is right and what is true. But as Jesus speaks to the church, in the opening chapters of Revelation, we see that, that right and good teaching, sort of um, meaty doctrine, is all they're about. They, they want to know what is true, but they've begun to give up on their love for Christ. There is not much warmth in the life of the fellowship. And if they want to um, 
see the life of their church go on and grow from strength to strength. They've got to get back to that love that they have for Jesus. Otherwise, the life of their church uh, will be taken away. And in this closing section of the letter, Paul sums up for them how they're to be if they're going to make it in the world. And it hardly seems uh, more relevant for us today, especially in, in light of the way our world around us is going, but in light of things like Brexit and the, the movement of our culture away from uh, the stability that we've had over the last 50 years, whatever you think of the EU, it has provided a certain sense of stability for us as a nation as we move away from that. How do we live? As Christians who see the culture changing from a culture that was at least familiar with Christianity and the concepts of things like um, what the Bible means about love or sin and life and death and so on. As we move away from that, how do we cope? How do we do well in the face of a society that is completely alien to us in many ways? Paul's been picturing the church as this group of people, almost like this army, and it can seem at times like the world is pitted against us constantly changing, is making us feel unsure and uncertain, and feels like our, our views, our beliefs are being pressed and, and pushed back. And so he, in this closing section, begins to use that imagery of, of a military existence. How do we live in light of this um, oppression from the world. It's, it's a word that's very popular, and I'm hesitant to use it. It comes with all sorts of baggage in our society, but, but that world pressing against us as Christian men and women. On the face of it, Paul just says, Jesus Christ has come to be your Savior. Ask for forgiveness in His name. Trust in Him and obey Him. And that's enough. It sounds simple, doesn't it? Believe in Jesus and what is written about Him in this book, and follow after the way you have been taught, and your life will go on the right track. All won't necessarily feel comfortable, but it will be the way that we ought to go. And the question is, do we really believe that? The reason that Paul doesn't just say that in two sentences and finish the letter is that it needs some unpacking, some explanation. And so if we're going to live it out, if we're going to actually do this thing that we say we believe, we need to truly understand it a little more clearly. And that's why we come to our passage this morning at the close of the letter. How do we stand firm in this faith in the face of adversity? Martin Lloyd-Jones, at the end of two volumes two volumes, two whole books he writes on these closing verses, says, I am certain that one of the main causes of the ill state of the church today is the fact that the devil is being forgotten. The adversary, the one who moves against the church, who motivates the world against the church, always attributed, Lloyd-Jones says to us, we have become so psychological in our attitude and our thinking, we are ignorant of this great objective fact, the being, the existence of the devil, the adversary, the accuser, and his fiery darts. And of course, because we are not aware of this, we attribute all temptation to ourselves. So the devil in his wiliness will have succeeded admirably. We have become depressed and discouraged. We feel that we are failures and we do not know what to do. But Paul here 
tells us what the Christian's defense is as we had faced not just vague opposition from the world, but a concerted opposition from the devil as he motivates our whole world, the whole world around us, to push against us. Paul tells us about the reality of life as a Christian. And he says that we must be equipped with God's armor if we are going not just to survive, but to flourish and to thrive. Paul paints this picture of of a soldier from his day and draws from the, the equipment of the Roman soldier that everyone in his society would be familiar with. The things we need, not just that are optional for us if we want to succeed in this area or in that particular um, sphere of life, but we need all of this if we're going to stand firm in our faith as children, as parents, as brothers and sisters, as church members, as employees, as employers, as retirees, as whatever it might be. And he does this because as he points out in this passage, we are engaged in a battle. We have an adversary, an opponent pushing against us constantly. It never lets up. All those questions we have, All those problems we face as Christians, all those temptations we battle against daily, don't just pop out of thin air. And it's not to say that you should picture it in some cartoonish way with the devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other whispering in your ear, but we should see our lives as being engaged in a constant conflict where we are, as Christian men and women, constantly being pushed back by the devil, that we might simply give up. That there is a great truth that we are to be encouraged by, that if you have trusted in Christ for your salvation, there is nothing that anyone, including the devil, can do to take that salvation away. It is God's gift to you, and only God can take it away. And he reminds us in John 6 that all those that are drawn by the Father and given to the Son that he might save them will be raised up in the last day. He will never withdraw that gift of salvation that he is, um, to someone he has given it to. So Satan can never take away the gift of salvation that has been given to you. But what he can do is make you an inactive, inert Christian that just sits and does nothing because you've bought into his lies. You have fallen uh, into temptation. You have given over to temptation, and therefore you believe certain things about yourself and about God that just make you give up. It's the umpteenth time you've fallen into that particular grave mistake or sin or whatever it might be, and so you simply can't face coming to God and asking for forgiveness. You are convinced because you would have given up on you by now that God must have given up on you by now as well. You've convinced yourself that this must not be a real faith that you have, and so you should just just give up on it and just lie low. And you might even still come to church, but you've kind of given up on on seeking God in Scripture and seeking to live for Him and love Him and worship Him with passion and, and with vigor in your daily life. And the devil is clever. He convinces you because of all of this that you should live in that way. And yet, we're reminded in Scripture that for all the devil is real and active in our world, Paul tells us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Whatever the devil might convince you to believe about yourself and your life, however much of a failure you may feel, however hard and sore oppressed you may be by other people, you belong to Christ, and Satan is a defeated enemy. 
You don't have to listen to that rubbish. You don't have to believe those lies. Christ has won the victory over him, and Christians go through their lives knowing that, that in the end, our God has won. And although we have a dangerous enemy to battle, the victory is already assured. His defeat is already guaranteed, not by how strong you are, but by how strong and powerful Christ has been on your behalf. Satan isn't a physical enemy, as we um, probably know, but the way he works is to, to cause us doubt through temptation, what Paul calls the flesh, that he uses the world to draw us away from him, that the power and authority in the world around us, the lies that we see on television that tell us, this is how you should see your life. This is how you should see the world. Living selfishly isn't a bad thing. Living sinfully is, is sort of desirable. You have to live for yourself, for number one. You have to give yourself over to that kind of life, and so on. We may have noted in our lives that Satan is, in so many ways, he appears at the very least to be more powerful than we are. We give in to temptation all the time. We struggle. And yet, Paul says, if you put on the armor of God, you might resist and stand firm against the schemes of the devil. One of the other things that Satan uses, the second means of attack, is within the church itself, where he causes us strife between members of the church, and we'll come on to that towards the end. But Paul says, as you face the outside world and all of the oppression of, of the devil, you must be firm in the truth. He uses this imagery of um, the belt that you have to put on to stand against these authorities, these powers of spiritual darkness and evil um, that we face. And so he says to put on the belt of truth. Now, to picture, um, instead of actually getting Roman armor, which is very expensive if you want to buy um, uh, reproduced Roman armor. So I didn't think it was worth it for one sermon. If we do a series on the armor of God at some point, maybe we'll, we'll go down the route of seeing if we can find some uh, so you can see it. But a Roman um, soldier has a sort of a large robe, basically, that he puts on, and it's long cloth. And to go into battle just with cloth flapping loose means that you're going to get tangled up in your own clothes, your, your feet and uh, your equipment are going to get all tangled up, and what you need is a belt to cinch all of that cloth in and keep it securely held in place. And that's what Paul says. You need this wide, thick belt that a Roman soldier puts on to make sure you're not constantly going to be entangled in your own life. And the way that the devil constantly seeks to entangle us is more often than not in our own ignorance. If we don't know any better, Paul says, you're constantly going to be tripping over your own cloak. And you can see it in all sorts of ways in your life, perhaps, but certainly in church history. In the early centuries of the life of the church, there were constant battles. There were constant heresies bubbling to the surface, things being taught that were so badly wrong. It threatened um, to, to be communicating the gospel wrongly to people. So people would hear what Christians were saying, and not believe in Christ as their Savior, and therefore it had to be condemned and put away. And the people who taught these things were confused. 
They, were, they believed all sorts of weird things that actually they'd brought from their life before they were Christians and tried to make them Christian, and it didn't work, and it brought all sorts of error into the life of the early church, and you can see it today if you've ever listened, um, and I'm threatening to make myself very unpopular by naming names here, but if you've ever listened to guys like Joel Osteen, he pops up on, on some of the Christian TV channels, which you should watch with extreme care, by the way. Christian TV is not all Christian TV. And Joel Osteen pops up all the time. And what Joel Osteen offers, he's a pastor of one of the biggest Baptist churches in the States, 45,000 members. Um, they meet in what was the Houston Rockets basketball arena um, every Sunday. And he constantly peddles this view of, of Jesus, that Jesus is just there to make your life amazing. You should live your best life now, which causes us some questions about what heaven will be like if your best life is now and not to come. But it's all about therapy. It's about making you feel great. He's a life coach, not a pastor. And what he constantly peddles is not a life of sacrifice in the service of God, but a life where God is a cosmic vending machine. You just say the right words, do the right things, and blessings will pour out of the slot at the bottom for you. And it's poison, and it's killing the church. But it's because he's ignorant of the reality of the gospel, of what God's Word actually says. Paul says, if you're firm in the truth, you'll know where you can go and where you can't. What you can believe and what you can't. What you can do and what you can't. And if that is constantly, that belt is constantly being worn by you, you're not going to be tripped up. Or at least not all that often. He says you must live a righteous life. We put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, a breastplate is there to protect your vital organs, your, your heart and your lungs and so on. It's what keeps you alive when somebody shoves a sword or a spear in your direction and it goes past your shield. Hopefully, it will glance off your breastplate and it will keep you living. When we live in an unrighteous way, Paul is saying, as he's detailed all the way through this letter, as you cast your mind back over the letter, you are constantly living this lie. You're living a lie that says, if you live the way the world says, then you'll be blessed, you'll be comfortable, you'll be encouraged, and you'll have everything that you want in this life. And Paul says, it's like wandering into battle without a breastplate on, thinking, I'm going to be fine. Everything will be well with me, and it doesn't matter if somebody attacks me, I'll be protected. And Paul's saying, you're going to get stabbed right through the heart. This is deadly serious. He says, living in a righteous way, and what he means by that is not trying to live a perfect life because it will be pleasing to God, and God might save you if you please Him enough. What he means is, Jesus lived the perfect life, and when He died, it's not just that your sins were placed on Jesus. His perfect life was credited to you. So when you stand before God, what God sees is the perfect life. Seems really unfair, doesn't it? <laughs> that God looks at you and all your failures and the things that you've done and said and thought, but what he sees is a perfect life. But that's the only way you can be saved. And that's why Paul says, and Jesus calls us to in the Gospels, but Paul says things like you should walk in a manner worthy of the gospel with which you've been called. You should work out your faith with fear and trembling. He's saying you've been given a perfect life, as it were, by Christ. So walk in a way that corresponds with that. Because if you've been given that, but you're walking in a different way, at the very least, what you're doing is communicating to other people. You can sin all you want. It doesn't matter. That's going to result in them not becoming Christians, and they're dying and going to hell because of your error. 
but it also means personally. You should question ultimately whether you are a Christian or not, because you're called constantly towards that perfect way of life, and you're going to fail, and you're going to feel terrible for that failure, but you feel constantly led in that way. And Paul says, if you're not living in that may, if you're not going in that direction, there is a serious problem. You're at real danger and real risk. And so you must put on the breastplate of righteousness. You, you ought to have your feet ready with the uh, shoes of the gospel of peace. And what he's talking about here aren't sort of wingtip shoes or brogues or even boots, really. What he's talking about are Roman sandals, but battle sandals. They've got great big hobnail studs hammered into the soles. Because the whole thing about warfare in, in the ancient world is quite often you're standing with a line of shields, and your opponent comes hurtling towards you, screaming at you, and you have to stand firm and repel the attack. And if you've got smooth-soled shoes, all that's going to happen is the enemy's going to crash into you, and you're just going to get pushed right back across the battlefield. You need something to grip the ground. And given the Six Nations on, I'm not going to mention Scotland's performance yesterday, but, but you see rugby players with exactly the same things. They're not wearing ballet pumps on the pitch. They're wearing boots with great big studs at the bottom so that when, on average, a 140 stone of rugby player is pressing against you in the scrum, you're going to be able to grip the ground and push back. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about here. When you understand the gospel, when your life has been transformed, your sins have been forgiven, and you've been made at peace with God, you can go anywhere and face oppression and opposition and push back, because your salvation isn't grounded in how well you do. It's not grounded in how good your life is going just now. That's the Joel Osteen gospel. If your life is going terribly just now, it's probably your fault. That's difficult, isn't it, when Jesus is the most persecuted man in human history, and yet was also the most perfect. When we understand the gospel, we're not going to be pushed back and back and back constantly when hard times come because we know our life rests in Christ. We must also be united uh, in the, the faith. He says, take up the shield of faith. And again, the Roman shield, you know it. It's a big sort of curved oblong. And the whole point in a Roman shield is not just that it's strong in and of itself. It's that it interlocks with the shield next to you. So that when you stand in a line and all the shields are locked together, it is incredibly difficult, if not impossible, to break through that barrier. It was one of the reasons the Romans conquered the um, sort of world at the, at the time, Europe and all the way over towards Persia. They were able to work together to defend one another, and that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. We have this faith that is able to quench attacks that come towards us, these sort of flaming arrows that the devil fires at us all the time, but we're also able together as one family of faith walk in lockstep. We press forward because we share this faith, and there's going to be a day coming when your faith will be pressed, pressed painfully, but you've got brothers and sisters around you that encourage you and build you up and push you along and make sure that when you're weak, they're able to help you. In John's gospel, when Judas is tempted by, Jesus, uh, by Satan, Jesus speaks to him uh, 
we find that um, the language of John's gospel uh, is that Satan had already put it into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. So when uh, it comes to that last supper, Judas knows, and Jesus knows, and they have that weird conversation where it becomes clear, and Judas runs away out into the dark, and it was dark outside, John says. It was a black time. Satan had already fired a a flaming arrow into Judas's heart, and it had caught fire. There was nothing Judas was going to do except betray Jesus at that point. But when we stand firm behind our faith that Christ is our sufficiency, that He is all in all to us, we're able to resist that attack, and we're able to help each other resist that attack also. We find that we are to trust in our salvation, Paul says, that we're to put on the helmet of salvation. It protects your head, which is in many ways the most important bit. If that comes off, then you're in serious trouble. And Paul says that the way that we think, the way that we see the world is incredibly important. If we are not trusting in our salvation, we're constantly working to please God so that He'll save me all the time. And Paul says this is one of the quickest ways that we're going to fail. We must be confident that when we've asked for forgiveness, Christ has given it to us. When we've repented of our sins, they are done and paid for so that whatever happens, however many times we fail, we know that we are still with Christ. Salvation is like a helmet. We might be running scared, but we will never ultimately be struck down if we are trusting in that salvation. We must be prepared with the Word. And Paul says that the sword uh, that we are to wield is the Word of God and the Spirit of God that comes with it. It is used to cut to the heart. When you heard the gospel for that first time and realized that you were a sinner in need of salvation, it was the Word of God and the Spirit of God slicing right through the middle of you to make you aware of your great need of salvation. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. That is the weapon we use to defeat the world. It's not political power. It's not military might. It's not even the the sort of influence that we can extend into our community for all that those might be good and useful things. It's the Word of God that we share with people and the Spirit of God that convicts them of sin. That is how salvation comes. That is how God conquers a people for Himself. We are to be clothed in the armor of God, and in that way we will be equipped. Whatever your circumstance, however difficult it may be, you'll be equipped to cope with life. And so we must be equipped with that armor. We must also then, Paul says in verse 18 to 20, be praying constantly in the Spirit, he says. Now, this isn't anything strange or or unusual, what he means here is simply that we pray properly. That's what he means by praying in the Spirit. In Romans 8, Paul makes it clear that Christians are to pray, and the Holy Spirit, who dwells with us, is constantly interceding. He stands between us and God, and he takes the words that we say, and he sort of interprets them, as it were, before God to make sense of what is said so that our requests actually make sense. And the only way I can think about this are those occasions, if you've ever had kids or grandkids or really young brothers and sisters who are just learning to talk, they will babble almost nonsense at you, but you know what they're saying, you understand. So someone you meet in the town says, and how are you? And the the little kid just babbles a string of incomprehensible gibberish, but you know what they're saying, and you say what he's saying is, 
X, Y, and Z. You interpret, and that is what the Spirit does. So when we pray in the Spirit, we are praying in alignment with what the Spirit of God desires, how He's leading us, and what He is then relaying to God, making sense of the, the babble. You know what I'm talking about when you've prayed. Sometimes you think that made virtually no sense, but surely God knows. And He does. It's um, that line, I'm, I, can't, I can never remember the film of it. it's Greyfriars Bobby or, or, or something else. There's a moment where there's a group of kids, young kids, sitting around a table, uh, and the, 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 the guy um, who's feeding all these kids sits at the top and he asks, you know, whoever, William or whoever it is, to say grace. And William just rattles through grace at 100 miles an hour because he wants to start eating. And the boy next to him nudges him and says, I didn't understand a word of that. And he says, well, I wasn't talking to you. It's... <laughs> It's that kind of thing, where we should pray respectfully, and it's good to pray together out loud, but we pray to God, and God understands what we're saying because His Spirit intercedes. And so when we come with worship and praise and, and so on, we are coming and praying in the Spirit. Paul says, do that constantly. If you're equipped in that way, you'll be led to that kind of life. That's how we stay connected with God in difficult circumstances. You stay connected with the general, as it were, on the battlefield. And we pray for one another. The Roman soldier needs his fellow soldiers on either side if he's going to survive. One Roman soldier isn't any better than any other kind of soldier. But together they are much more powerful. And so we pray not just for ourselves, but for one another. Because as Paul says elsewhere, doesn't he, that as one part struggles the whole church struggles. If heresy and error creeps into the church, the whole church is infected. Jesus says that when you have a little bit of leaven that leavens the whole lump, you've got to be so careful. So pray for one another. And we must be alert to the world around us. You put the armor on for a reason. It's because living as a Christian is hard, and you know that, I'm sure. But you've got to be alert. We can't just blunder through life thinking all is well when actually we're constantly being assaulted with temptations to believe wrong things or to go the wrong way or to do the wrong thing or whatever else, to stay quiet when we should share our faith or whatever it might be. We've got to be alert. You don't see soldiers just wandering blithely through the battlefield, picking flowers, not concerned about what's going on around them. And so Paul says there must be an alertness to what is going on. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance praying for the saints. That's what supplication means, interceding, asking for them on their behalf, and also for Paul, that he may have the right words to say. Be alert, so that as Paul is in a different circumstance, pray for that circumstance, or whatever it may happen to be. Are you training yourself for battle? Do you think of life in that way? We're encouraged not to. We're encouraged to be happy and content with life and uh, by our media and our politicians and, and everything else. Everything in us says that that's the way life should be. But are we practicing putting on the armor of God daily, spending time in God's Word, spending time in prayer, asking that God would remind you of your salvation, would shield you from the temptation of the devil? That's why the, the, the Lord's Prayer is the way it is. Lead us not into temptation. Have us resist these things. The battle is God's. The victory is His. But we still have to press forward if we're going to see it worked out. 
one of the first dates I ever had with Elaine, we went to see the um, Scotland All Blacks game at Murrayfield. And it was one of those games where the All Blacks were going to win. It was never going to be any other way. Before any of the players put a boot onto the turf, the All Blacks were going to win. It was just a question of how bad the victory was going to be um, from the Scottish perspective. And yet, Scotland still actually had to go onto the field and play. That, that, that's the thing. The, the All Blacks still had to line up with the ball. If the All Blacks had said, well, we're going to win and it's going to be 53-16, there's just no point in playing, so we're going to stay in the locker room, then the match would have been over and it, they would have lost. That's the whole thing. You still have to take to the field, however overwhelming the, 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 the result may be. And so it is with us. The victory is assured, but we still have to take to the pitch. We still have to get onto the battlefield. Will we do as the Lord commands? Will we put on this armor? The letter to the Ephesians details our riches in Christ as believers in Him. Let us lay hold of those riches. You are blessed beyond measure in Jesus. More than just the blessings that we talk about day to day, that the Lord's been so good to me. You are blessed beyond your ability to understand. Do you spend time each day considering that? relying upon that, using that as your fuel. Because if you do, your love for Christ will be kindled, your care for one another will be encouraged, and your witness to the Lord will be powerful indeed. So let's lay hold of these gifts, this armor, and use it for the glorious purposes they were designed for in this place. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we hear about the life of the church in Ephesus, we hear about our story, our church, our life. We're no different to them. And Lord God, we thank you so much for that truth, that the encouragement the Ephesians received is the encouragement that we can receive today, that you have saved us, and we cannot stop glorifying you for that salvation we have in Jesus' name. But Lord, if we're not reminded of that salvation every single day, if we don't rely upon that salvation every single day, we're going to grind to a halt and give up as Christian men and women, and just sit. And Lord, that's not what you made us for. You made us to glorify you every moment of every day. You made us to go onto the battlefield and to fight hard to live out the life you have given us, to glorify you and see your kingdom spread. And so, Lord God, we pray, help us not to be inactive, inert Christians, if there are those of us here today, Lord, who feel that they've been coasting for a long time, they've not really been living out this faith, they've been in, in autopilot, just plodding along day to day, Lord, I pray that you would wake us up from that, that sleepwalk, that daydream. Lord, have us put on this armor. Lord God, have us remind ourselves every single day as we read your word and as we pray so that however hard this day might be, however overwhelmed we might feel, Lord, we would be equipped to face it. Lord, we're not going to feel great necessarily. I'm sure every Roman soldier that took to the field didn't feel amazing in the heat of battle, but he knew he was protected. He knew he had the right equipment for the job to face down the enemy and win the day. And so, Lord, give us that courage as Christian men and women. The battle is hard, but you've equipped us to fight it and to win. And so, Lord God, we pray for ourselves, we pray for our brothers and sisters, and we pray for our sister churches across West Lothian, Scotland, and the world. Lord, have us trust in the equipment you have given us. Because we are, as we sing so often, an army of ordinary people. 
And yet, Lord, you have won the victory for us already. Send us out with confidence and with courage this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.